Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Marcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... Is 1984, and robots uh, are aplenty in James Cameron's The Terminator, the original. Uh, we did cover Terminator 2 on an earlier episode, so go and check that out if you're interested in the sequel. Uh, but today we're going back to the first one, and I'm really glad that we're doing that because it's been a long time since I've seen it, and it's a much better film uh, than I remember, partly because I think it gets overshadowed by its, uh, its uh, sequel. To some degree, but thank God they only made two of them, right? Uh, anyway, I'm here to introduce our guest. You've heard her before on our episode on Care Bears. She is the host of Jollitown's Place, as well as Monster, Dear Monster, and a regular contributor on Duck Feeds the Level. Uh, please welcome back to the show, Jolla Prendez. Yay! Yes, Woo-hoo! I'm going to clap for myself too on this one, even though this is not the same vibe as Care Bears. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of a more different topic uh, than Gare Bears. I was trying to, like, what's the connection? Um, be, being descends to uh, have a major impact in the lives of children. That's about all I could come up with for a parallel between Terminator and Gare Bears. Well, I am aware um, of many hats. I am a consumer of many medias. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's start start where we always start. Uh, Jala, tell me your nostalgic memories of the Terminator. Um. Well, my dad used to watch all of the action movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger was in and certain other 80s and 90s action stars Sylvester Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme, so on and so forth. So like it was required watching for us and so every single time it was on TV and it felt like it was on TV a lot uh, we ended up watching it and so uh, like every time without fail and it was really cool because for me especially when I was a little kid, this was like super terrifying, right? The first movie to me is more of like a a kind of horror movie than it is an action movie. And to me, it kind of feels like it switches genres uh, and kind of doubles down on the action part because there's action in this film, but it kind of doubles down from two onward to just being solidly an action sci-fi title and, you know, kind of doesn't do the horror thing so much anymore. So. Yeah. Again, there are no Terminator movies after two. Uh, we'll just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> so I don't know what you mean by onward. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it it does kind of something that like Alien did as well as a franchise. Like the first, this is much more in common with the first Alien movie, and Aliens and Terminator Two have a lot more kind of shared tonal stuff um, because this is, I mean, the Terminator is not all that different from Michael Myers, right, or any other eighties 
slasher villain. He just happens to be like the sci-fi version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, but it's cool that he is so like he is scary and terrifying, and it's kind of a miracle that they can take this character and that in Terminator Two he's you know more cute and cuddly, even though mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's basically the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, that's interesting that you watch it so much growing up. I I did not. I saw Terminator 2 first. Uh, like, I think a lot of our co- cohorts saw Terminator 2 first. And at some point I got around to watching Terminator 1 as like a curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I don't think I ever went back to it for whatever reason. So <laughs> I'm really glad you suggested this because I think uh, this is only the second time I've seen it. Wow. Well, I will say yeah. Terminator as a thing. So when I started doing training and stuff, one of the things that I do, because I'm a nerd, is I would imagine myself as a Terminator when I was training. And so, like, when I was, like, feeling exhausted, like, oh, I'm, I'm dying, I'm, I can't do this. And I'm like, no, I have to go on. Terminator does not stop. And, like, seriously, like, it was in my head. And I was, and, you know, I, I still do. Sometimes I still do when I'm, like, training. And I'm like, nope, I am a machine. I must go. So, you know, that's... That's the way that it still embodies itself in my life to this day. There you go. There's the commonality for me anyway. Care Bears is always in my life, and so is Terminator. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the synth score to this is, uh, I think you could actually use this as pretty solid workout material. It's so like, wild because it has such like a 70s, you know, uh, you know, techno sort of thing going to it. Um it's it's a little bit different than the kind of music score that they have in, in Terminator 2, for example. And so it's interesting because it's a little bit more like, I don't know, synth. There's a lot of synth going on and everything. So it's kind of wild. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And we commented on that on the, in the Terminator 2 episode that like it's the same themes and same basic score, but it does become a little more orchestral mm-hmm. uh, for, for Terminator 2. And here it's much more sci-fi synth heavy mm-hmm. um which works it, the, i think this movie kind of lives so much in its tone yeah um because as we'll get, get into as we get into the recap of it um the first third of this movie has very little dialogue like i'll be dropping in very few clips because there's not much to hear yeah you know there it's it's just a lot of kind of cat and mouse between these characters um wi- bu- buoyed by that synth music that really helps kind of just make you feel super tense throughout the entire thing and also the fact that it has this kind of um, weird synth music going for it works with it specifically because this movie, unlike Terminator 2, has like almost exclusively night shots. I don't think you see like a day shot except for like every every once in a while there might be something, but it's all dark, dark, dark shots and like shots inside clubs and, you know, stuff like that. So it's all kind of dark and gritty and it makes you think of like, you know, again, like the clubs that appear in some of it and there's like punks and stuff like that so it works with that because it's kind of um kind of cyberpunk ish in a way and dystopian just about to throw that word out there Uh like yeah it's got a little bit of cyberpunk to it despite the fact that it is just set in present 1984 Mm -hmm. uh it, it has a little bit of that feel and i think as you said it's mostly shot at night there's a handful of things i think when they have that little trip up to the motel um there's some daytime stuff there Mm -hmm. but for the most part everything's at night it's the film just looks grainy Mm -hmm. in a way that you know part of that is yes it's from 1984 but it's also just part of the tone like terminator 2 just the cinematography is a lot more clean yeah in the just the way the shots look and uh, again i think this works for the tone of this movie of just making it feel like 
yeah, it, it it just adds to the tension somehow. Everything just feels like it, uh, there's like a nervous energy to the movie. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, well, and then too, it, it's very much like um, a new way sci new wave sci fi, which is kind of like the kind of stuff that leans into what eventually becomes like the '80s cyberpunk and stuff like that as well. So it's like on the the brink of you know the beginnings of cyberpunk, you know, and it has that kind of feeling to it. Yeah, this is 84, so we're two years after, like, Blade Runner. Yeah. Like, kind of the most cyberpunk thing that's ever been. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, you can feel there's, like, connective tissue between those things, even though Blade Runner is a, you know, is a noir and uh, has so much other things going on with it. You could feel these two movies at least sitting next to each other on the shelf in the video store. Yeah. Right? There, there's something about the, yeah, the tone of these that is shared. Yeah, and I think... Uh, especially, yeah. Well, I think part of it, too, is because, you know, James Cameron is a little bit older. So, like, he might be pulling from a, a you know, like a proto-cyberpunk, you know, kind of thing. Uh, because that's the kind of stuff that he was into or whatever at that time. Um, but then, too, I also feel like the end of the Vietnam War in 1975, also, or at least, you know, uh, as we have it, uh, also plays a part in the vision of, like, how Cameron presents the future as like this futile war and everything. So like, you know, just, just placing this historically and stuff just within what was going on in the, the sci-fi and then also what was going on, like in our politics, you know, um, you can kind of see where some of the tissue comes from. Yeah. There, there is a sense of like hopelessness to mm -hmm. this movie, uh, which is interesting because the end of Terminator two is a little more hopeful yeah. Um. In terms of how things might turn out, which is one of the reasons the later movies are kind of bummers. Yeah. Uh, in that respect, even though they probably are correct in terms of maintaining causality. Yeah. Uh, the, the Judgment Day has to happen. Um. But the that feeling like it, it's also interesting to watch kind of how scrappy this movie is. Like it is. I don't want to say it's low budget. You know, it, it looks great, uh, especially for 1984. But you think of like what Cameron would go on to do in Terminator 2, followed by, like, Titanic and Avatar, right? Where, like, money is no object. Mm -hmm. And he can take, you know, 15 years to make, you know, the second Avatar movie. And it's like, yeah, it's a billion-dollar thing. Um, to watch him when he's young and scrappy like this, it's really neat to think, like, this is the guy who's going to go on to make those things. Mm -hmm. is pretty incredible. Like, you can see just the, the raw talent this guy has and, like, what he's able to put on screen uh, w with his limited resources and effects budget. Yeah. Well, and then, too, this movie also is really 1984 in terms of, like, um, the pacing. Because the pacing is still slower. Because, you know, like, at the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s and stuff is when the kind of pace of a lot of movies started to speed up a lot. You know, this is still kind of got, like, that, that kind of early 80s and late 70s slower pacing to it. And so that's what's markedly different about it from T2, which is just action, you know lots and lots of action in a lot, a lot of it. So it's a, yeah. a little bit snappier, you know. And NT2 has the the benefit that it does it doesn't have to lay so much groundwork. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they you literally hit the ground running already knowing everything you need to know about the future and what's going on, you know, with the Terminators. Um, they, they don't have to explain that very much. So, yeah, they are able to just jump right in and like, it's happening again. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, so um, so with that, I think we should get in get into the movie itself because mm -hmm. there's a lot to say and it'll sort of come out as we go through the, the beat by beat. Um, but we open up in uh, 2029, just five years from now. Uh, yeah. Not, Wild. It's exactly the future <laughs> I imagine for yeah. us in five years. Uh, and it's war, pew, pew, lasers. This is, you know, we've seen this. You know, this is 
J- James Cameron's vision of the Terminator adult future where it's all just just skulls as far skulls as I can everywhere. see. <laughs> None of the rest of the skeletons, by the way, just the skulls. Mm-hmm. So who knows what happened? But yeah, lots of skulls everywhere um, in this you know nightmarish future war. Uh, and we are told that, you know, machines rose from the ashes of nuclear fire um, and that the final battle would actually be fought, quote unquote, here tonight in 1984, mm-hmm. um, which is wrong on a few counts. One, it takes place over two nights. Uh, also, again, obviously not the final battle, as yeah. we'll see in, in sequels. But nevertheless, it's an awesome start to it. Um, and I love the transition from 2029 to modern day because the transition is to this, like, I don't even know what this machine is. It's this giant piece of construction equipment or something that you see as it's, like, you know, rotating around. Uh, and then, or no, it's a dump. It's, it's a, a dump, dump truck. truck, right? It's the, it's the forklift. Yeah, it, but it looks alien at first because it's like the way they shoot this like forklift front of the dump truck. It takes your brain a while to go like, am I still in 2029 or what am I even looking at? Like, it's a great shot. Right. So uh, a few things about that. So first off, uh, I wanted to comment on the fact that Cameron, when he's doing these future shots, he's using like miniatures and a bunch of smoke to obscure everything. But like that makes it still look really good rather than if they had tried to do, you know, something else with it. So like the the use of the miniatures there and the portrayal makes it hold up pretty well. Um, I agree. Yeah, 100 percent. And then, too, in the novelization of this movie, because I've read that novel, I still have the novelization on my shelf. Um, it's pretty close to the movie, how you see it, except the whole first chapter is about the dump truck guy who has an entire chapter where you get to learn all about him. And he's on the screen for like five seconds. Um, when we get to the there's another character like that's just on the screen for just brief amount of time. Uh, the man whose pants get stolen. He has his own chapter as well. And then wow. there's a little bit of extra stuff inside Kyle Reese's head. Otherwise, the novelization is just what you see on screen. So, <laughs> but it's wild how much time was spent with this dump truck man. So, like, when you go and you watch the movie, you're like, oh, woe to the dump truck man who had, like, an entire... Like, I, I wonder if that means that, like, because uh, oftentimes when they do novelizations, they are doing it off of, like, an early version of the screenplay. So I wonder if there was, like, a lot more with the dump truck guy that just got cut and was never put in the final product. So, yeah, I could you could imagine some version of that, like, you know, he calls his mom and he or his wife or whatever, and he has a whole thing only to be eventually killed by yeah. Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. or something. You know, it's uh, you could see that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great opening. I, I was I noted this is the most 2029 you get um, in the first two movies, like in Terminator 2. You really only get like a little bit of it at the very beginning. And then we never in my head in Terminator 2, we see a lot more of 2029. We don't. It's the first scene. We actually get a lot more of it here. Yeah, because it's the very beginning of the movie. And then Kyle Reese has a flashback. And then there's like another part where he's talking to um, Sarah. Yes. I was, I was thinking Linda Hamilton. I'm like, what? The f-? <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, talking to, to Sarah about, you know, like what the future is like. And so you get different little clips of it throughout there but there's there's quite a lot actually you know yeah and as you said it is well realized um i i was very impressed to see how well that special effect stuff held up uh for for 1984 and there's something about the way they shoot that stuff with a lot of smoke um like think of things like you know uh go to another schwarzenegger thing conan the barbarian where like Mm -hmm. the the way they shoot this stuff makes it feel more ethereal and like you know, supernatural than say it would now with a whole bunch of just CGI. Like, I don't know. We just made a computer do it on screen and there it is. Like there's something about the like unreality of this that makes it feel more evocative. So, yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so the dump truck stops working. We get lightning and we see uh, naked Arnold. Uh, he and I love this, like the way he kind of like he walks out. He's there at Griffith Park of all places, which is really just cool, a uh, place I've been to many times. And he just stares out over the LA basin, kind of robotically swiveling his head around. Um, and it's just he's already just incredibly intimidating, just standing there naked. Yeah, something about him being naked is like already scary. Well, because when he's naked, they they show him from the back and you see like, you know, his broad, broad shoulders, all the muscles, all this, whatever. He's super shiny. It's a big contrast to how um, Kyle Reese appears and how he comes out and what he looks like and everything like that. It's not like he's um, not fit or anything, but he's not as huge as Arnold is. And, you know, Arnold was training himself not to blink and stuff like that, and not to have any excessive mo- uh, movement for this role, specifically to evoke that, you know, kind of intimidation that you would have from like a machine pretending to be a human, sort of, you know. Yeah, and this was, you know, pretty towards the beginning of Arnold's acting career. So, you know, there's so much more nuance in the T2 performance that you can tell just how much he's learned as an actor in the, you know, whatever, uh, you know, six years between these two movies. But even here, like, he's got that just incredible, like, just Arnold magnetism. Like, the guy, like, for a guy that, you know, is like, you should view as an alien, right? Like, he's jacked beyond belief, like, beyond anyone you know. He's got this weird Austrian accent. Um, and yet you're, like, immediately drawn to this guy. Like, he just has what he just, that what Hollywood call, like, that it factor. Like, somehow, like, you just like this guy and want to watch him and stuff. He, he's... He's just a weird specimen of an actor. Well, what's really fun, too, and I know that we need to continue on with this uh, run through, but uh, when they were talking about this, James Cameron and Arnold, Arnold wanted to play Kyle Reese. And because he didn't want to play a bunch of villain characters and then be typecast as a villain, he wanted to be portrayed as hero character. And so it was when he was talking to, to James Cameron and they were talking through Terminator uh, Arnold actually was really like specific, like, no, like the person who plays the Terminator has to do X, Y, Z and this and that. And then James Cameron is like, why don't you play the Terminator? Because you are into this, you know? And he's like, no, I want to be a hero. And there was this whole back and forth where James Cameron is like, no, you're not a villain as the Terminator because a machine is not good or evil. It's dependent upon what its mission is. And as you know, in Terminator 2, he becomes a good guy. So like they did that probably because that's Arnold's thing. He wants to be a hero character. He doesn't really want to play a villain. So, you know, but in this first movie, he he and James Cameron were both conceiving of the Terminator as just a machine, not like a bad or good, just a thing, you know. So Yeah, and he he has played very few villains in his career. It's yeah. basically this and Mr. Freeze are the only thing that mm-hmm. come to mind. Um, so yeah, so he, so he menaces these cyberpunk looking dudes, like very eighties punk guys. Mm-hmm. And like, I forgot how brutal this was. Like he just rips a dude's heart out oh, yeah. right away mm-hmm. and then proceeds to take the other guy's clothes. Yep. Hey, my turn. Me. Come on. Hey, what's wrong with this picture? (laughs) Nice night for a walk, eh? (laughs) Nice night for a walk. Wash day tomorrow. Nothing clean. 
right? <laughs> Nothing clean, right? Hey, I think this guy's a couple cans short of a six-pack. You're close. Give them to me, now. Fuck you, asshole! Which, it's Holy amazing. Shit. It's amazing that those clothes fit Arnold. Because these little punks are not very big. You know? They're wearing baggy stuff, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. that. Just the heart rip alone was like, I, I've forgotten that it starts off that brutal. Like mm-hmm. with T-1000, we don't see what he does to the cop mm-hmm. before he like transforms into him. Uh, I mean, he'll do plenty of brutal stuff later in the movie. But but the T-1000 is actually kind of, I won't say he's bloodless, but he's so efficiently just like, nope, just, you know, I'll put a thing through your head yep. and I'm done. Mm-hmm. Right. This is like uglier and like more um just animalistic like he's he's less flashy yeah uh, the t-800 yeah so yeah very cool uh so yeah so now we get to uh you know sirens we're downtown la and kyle reese appears you know with all the lightning and i as you mentioned like his appearance not only is he you know not scrawny but i mean he is much smaller than arnold but immediately you notice like he's got all these crazy burns all over his and back. scars all kinds of burn scars and stuff like that and then when he pops out so when arnold pops out he is in a kneeling pose but he is just you know has no expression whatsoever on his face no pain no nothing and he's in a kneeling pose and just stands up and is just you know like ready to do whatever he's there to do you know which is of course go after sarah connor but like when kyle reese comes out he is in fe- he comes out he's like ah and then he's in fetal position position when he comes out slammed onto the pavement and you know everything like that and he does get up and like come to but like it's a very different marked difference between how the two of them appear yeah i I half expected him to like projectile vomit yeah um you know which would make sense i can't imagine that time travel would not be horrendous to go through physically so yeah it's a good contrast between uh the two of them but yeah he he steals a pair of pants off a homeless guy he runs um, and like police start chasing him, but he's clever enough to kind of get the drop on one of them, grab the cop's gun. Uh, and I love that little interchange where he's like, you know, trying to find out the date mm-hmm. and he's like, no, no. What year is it? What day is it? The date? 12 May Thursday. What year? You know, great. You know, I just love that. Like, he he does play his mission like desperate, mm-hmm. um, and he does not care what people think of him. He's not trying to like really fit in very much. He's just like, I got, I don't have time. I got to get to this woman now. Yeah, um, yeah. Gr- great performance from Michael Bean here as as Kyle Reese. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And those bum, those uh, stinky pants that he's got, like for the for, they stay on the whole time. So it's like later on in the movie just remember in some of the beats that happen that he's still wearing um very very unwashed very lived in pants <laughs> right i forgot yeah when, when the romance kicks in yeah, uh-huh. he's still wearing those pants <laughs> he's still wearing stinky <laughs> pants 
Uh, yeah, Sarah does not comment on it. <laughs> so, no. uh, yeah, so he there's this whole pursuit through what I, some sort of department store or a shopping mall, and uh, yeah, the, Kyle gets out. Yeah, the the cops are chasing after him because they think that he's high or something because he has no idea what the, the year is or anything like that, and they're running after him because he stole that cop's gun. And then yeah, he's going through the department store trying to you know just get through, but then he's also trying to grab clothes and stuff to put on so he can hide, you know, camouflage himself. Yeah. And he makes his way to a phone booth where he finally gets to a, a phone book in a very 1984 sequence that would not happen today. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he finds the phone book and finds there are three Sarah Connors living in the Los Angeles area. Uh, and uh, he's off. And then we see Sarah, I, Sarah Connor. We meet her f- for the first time. Uh, so different from how she is in in T2. Oh, yeah. Um, and she's driving a Vespa to work at Big Jeff's, which is basically like Bob's big boy. Mm-hmm. And it's such a like wonderfully inauspicious beginning for her of like, you know, yep, this, it's Tuesday. You know, things are normal for me. I have no idea my life is about to be turned upside down and that I am the most important human being on planet Earth right now. Yeah, because like she's going about, she's a waitress. She is going about her day. The, every customer is a terrible person. They're all like, you know, like the worst customers ever. There's like a little kid who sticks ice cream in her pocket. And then somebody's like, serves you right because you didn't do whatever. And just the worst kind of day possible. And she's just having to take it, you know. Oh, yeah. The people are brutal to her as she's trying to serve. Like, she's trying to get these people's order right while, like, people at other tables are just, like, basically screaming at her. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not even letting her finish what she's doing over there. It's real bad. Um, and against that backdrop, we get Arnold just punching out a, a car window and hot wiring a car. And so he is he's in pursuit somewhere. We don't know exactly where he is or what or how he's doing this or, you know, in relation to where she is. But they're they're doing a good job, I think, Cameron, of cutting back and forth between our our three players mm-hmm. you know, as they are slowly converging. Um, and yeah, like he, he it's very clear without saying anything that like, yes, Sarah Connor is the target. Like we, we know immediately just through editing and like cinematography, that's what's happening. Well, and then, too, um, at some point. Uh, the Terminator also gets a hold of a phone book and also does the same thing where he's looking at the phone book and, you know, uh, he grabs just the, that same information and then he's off to start, you know, doing his deeds. Yeah, it, it it begs an interesting question about the future of why they don't know more about where Sarah Connor might be. You know, like, you know, like all we know is her name is Sarah Connor and she's somewhere in Los Angeles. Like they don't have an exact address for her. <laughs> You know, we don't know exactly how time travel works. So, like, why not travel back and kill uh, Sarah Connor's father farther back in time where they're less equipped to defend against it? Right. We don't know all of those details. And I don't know if that was ever brought out in any of the later sequels of like, oh, they can only time travel back so far. You know, like, why not kill her as a toddler? You know, Mm -hmm. that that kind of stuff. Um, Well, part of it is part of it, though, is because. Uh, Kyle Reese is destined to meet Sarah Connor, and so he has to be around Sarah when she's old enough to conceive a child to have John Connor is part of it. So, like, they can't well, send him... as to why Kyle is there, but in yeah. terms of... I assume he's he's sort of in pursuit of the Terminators, right? They're, they're kind of... You know, I don't think, you know, anyone... For some reason, the machines have chosen 1984 yeah. as yeah. the battleground, not, not the humans. Well, I, um, I think it's yeah. because... Um, they're trying to kill John before he's born. They don't care about Sarah. They just care about John. And so they're trying to kill John by killing Sarah. 
and but Sarah's yeah. not the the best target really <laughs> okay right. moving on <laughs> uh anyway so yeah then we get this great scene where arnold uh and i'm just gonna call him arnold yeah uh not his character I mean, arnold goes in to buy guns from mr futterman from gremlins mm-hmm. and like so he just he's just sitting there i want the nine millimeter you know he's taking all of these guns and just starts loading them in front of him mm-hmm. and just goes you can't do that wrong the dwarf gauge auto loader that's Italian. You can go pump or auto. The 45 long slide with laser siding. It's a brand new. We just got them in. That's a good gun. You just touch the trigger, the beam comes on, and you put the red dot where you want the bullet to go. You can't miss. Anything else? Phased plasma rifle in the 40 watt range. Hey, just what you see, pal. The Uzi 9 millimeter. Know your weapons, buddy. Any one of these is ideal for home defense. So, uh, which will it be? All. I may close early today. There's a 15-day wait on the handguns, but the rifles you can take right now. You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a great interchange this is. I loved this scene. I thought this was so great. I mean, we've already established what a badass he is by having him you know, just rip someone's heart out of their chest. But like, this just shows like he has some cleverness, but he's still pretty much a blunt instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's not subtle whatsoever. And he's like, the Uzi nine millimeter. And he's like, Oh, you know, your guns, blah, 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 you know, and all this other mess. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we do a little more cross cutting. We get Reese wandering just the streets of Los Angeles um, and then we come back to Arnold. I wrote in my notes, he yanks Mario away from a phone booth. <laughs> this big mustachioed <laughs> yeah. guy yeah. in overalls or something. Oh, there's there's where um, the phone booth comes in. Uh-huh. Right. So he finds the three Sarahs in the phone booth, and then he drives and he parks his car on top of a semi, like a toy version of a semi, which is great because semis will play a big part in this movie yeah. and the next one. James Cameron must have a thing for, like, semis yes. as, as an action vehicle. Um, and we get dogs barking at him, mm-hmm. which we'll find out later, like dogs can tell, like it's not a real human, Yeah, uh, which is cool. Cause they don't reveal that yet, but it, it's like the continuity of that is nice. And then, uh, yeah, he, Sarah, a Sarah Connor opens the door, uh, and he immediately executes her. Yeah. He's like, are you Sarah Connor? And she's like, yes. And then blam the end. <laughs> yeah. And they'll repeat that again in a little, like they take the other two Sarah Connors off the board. Mm hmm. Pretty quickly. And like, I could see a version of this movie that was longer where like, you know, there was a little bit more of a three card Monty of like, well, which Sarah Connor is in fact the real John Connor's mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they could live long. There, there is something you could do with that. I don't know. Do they do that in the novelization or is it just nope. the same? Nope. Same, same. Okay. So the, but the news obviously picks this up because we see Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor watching on the news and her friend is like, Hey, look, someone with your name just got murdered. LOL, you're dead, honey. Yeah. LOL, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would be on edge if that happened. I mean, obviously, once the second time, the second time it happens, it's very clear what the pattern is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so now Reese hotwires a car, and he just, wa- as he is watching construction equipment, we get a flashback, or I guess technically a flash forward, to 2029, and uh, mostly just him you know, running around, you know, pew pew lasers and stuff. But he does, I believe at this point, like he blows up one of these giant uh, machine turrets. Yeah. 
yeah, just just a cool action sequence to show that like he's very competent and you know, good at what he does. Yeah, and isn't it because like is this the part where he was taking a nap and has this vision, or is this just a flashback, just randomly? Uh, I think he do- he might fall asleep here, but I, they make a point that he's like staring at like 1984 machines. Yeah, and yeah. He dreams. The, of yeah, the construction site. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that has a little bit more to it in the book version. Like they expound a little bit on what's in Kyle Reese's head and all of that. And there's no words for this whole section, so like you don't hear anything from him. So it's just in um, you know the actor's performance. Yeah. Again, like. The 2029 stuff is really well put together, and it's a great little just set piece of him doing stuff. And, of course, the machines have no idea that if they happened to kill Kyle Reese during this, they would have won. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, But anyway, uh, we cut back. At Sarah and her friend are, like, getting ready to go out on dates. The phone rings, and it is her roommate Ginger's boyfriend, Matt, uh, calling to do some dirty talk. He expected Ginger to pick up the phone, but Sarah picks up. Um, and just like, yeah, fun, like you know, lo- the normal life she will never know again after mm-hmm. the sequence of this movie. Yep. Um, yeah. Just to kind of introduce us to these two characters um, who will be cannon fodder. Uh, and then we go to the precinct where Lance Henriksen, another uh, James Cameron mainstay, he'll show up again in Aliens. Uh, but he reports the death that there reports that have been two Sarah Connors murdered now. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the police detective, and we're we'll, we're just kind of beginning to get to know these two police officers who will ultimately be of minimal help. Yeah, um, but uh, but they are important to help kind of establish, like at least there is some police presence or like awareness that something is afoot. Yeah, yeah. At least at least Pugsley, the iguana who never shows up again, is uh, given a little screen time and has like a moment. <laughs> He will be used one more time for a jump scare, but mm-hmm. yeah, like the, yeah, the, the uh, uh, it's not Sarah's, uh, or no, it is Sarah's iguana, yeah, right? It's, it's Sarah's. not the roommates, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, which is cute. She has a, a, I, I was wondering if there, I was trying to remember. There's nothing like this in T two, at least in the theatrical cut, but I can't remember if there's something in the, the director's version where she like, you know, she sees an iguana when they're in like the desert. Uh, so for some reason that is occurring in my brain, but I have to go back and watch that again. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, so uh, back to the girls. They're getting ready with the biggest 80s hair I've oh, ever yes. seen. Big, big hair. Incredible. Um, yeah, this is where, yeah, she Pugsley's missing. She finds him on the bookshelf. And then Sarah's date cancels on her to make this day even worse. Although, again, not nearly as bad as she is, is going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, but her date cancels on her. She downgrades her fancy clothes to regular clothes, and she decides, ah, eh, she's going to just go out and see a movie. Uh, and she bumps into Matt on her way out. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, I mean, the on, balls yeah. on Matt to be dirty, accidentally dirty talking um, Sarah and then be like, oh, sorry, is Ginger there? And then, she, you know, Sarah's just like, Ginger, it's Matt, you know. But then as as uh, Sarah's leaving, then Matt gives her a kiss. It's like, bro, <laughs> please. <laughs> I just get the impression that like these three have been, you know, friends kinda, forever. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Like yeah. they've, been, they've Matt's been around. He's for years or something they've mm. got that level of familiarity so yeah. it doesn't it, to me it didn't read as like too gross mm-hmm. it just was more like ah he's like a little brother to her or something you know mm-hmm. he's just being he's just being matt yeah um uh, so yes yeah, so but she gets on her vespa and drives off to some real ominous music um oddly ominous considering who is following her is reese mm-hmm. and not arnold yet at this point but you know, they're, they're not going to, obviously we have to be scared of Arnold and seemingly not scared of Reese, but we don't know that 
Reese, you know, is necessarily there to help her yet. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the ominous stuff works a little bit, or that you figure if Reese is there, Arnold can't be far behind. Yeah. Um. So, uh, the detectives are questioned by the press about the murders, uh, and he says they. They tried. He tried to get in touch with Sarah. He just left a message on the machine, uh, and they figure they'll send a unit to go there. But they don't know that she's obviously she's out mm-hmm. for the night. Um, so we have sort of a a fourth faction sort of converging on her, but not not really because the police will never intercept her. At least not there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and we I love the phone message though. So we get to hear the other the message they are leaving for Sarah and you hear her outgoing message, which is like, ha ha, you're talking to a machine. Mm-hmm. Like they'll do that a few times in the movie where like they highlight, like there's machines in our world too. Our machines will eventually lead to those machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so. for sure. But then you get the, all the fun of uh, Sarah about town or is that, is that just yet? Is that where it transitions? Yeah. That's, that's, that's about to start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah, Sarah hears she's out somewhere at like a bar or a restaurant and she's like, you know, no, wait, 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 turn the news up. I want to hear that. And this is where they reveal on the news that now two Sarah Connors have been killed. Right. So she is understandably freaked the fuck out. This just in, police have announced the name of the victim in the second of two execution style murders which took place today. Incredibly, the names of the two victims are virtually identical. Two hours ago, 35-year-old Sarah Ann Connor was pronounced dead at the scene in her Santa Monica apartment. Sarah sure. Louise Connor was slain Don't by a lone gunman earlier today in her home. Now, police are refusing to speculate on the apparent similarity between these shooting deaths, and no other connection between the two victims has been established as of yet. Of course, we'll have more on this late-breaking story as it comes in. A spectacular fire fueled by solvents, oils, and other flammable liquids. Um, she checks the phone book and confirms, yes, there are only three, and two of them are now dead. Yep, and uh, she's so, the next one. But then yeah. that that phone doesn't work in there. Yeah, there's an out of out of order pay phone again, like dangers that only exist in 1984. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's got to find another phone somewhere, and I don't know why she doesn't find it in this restaurant, but she goes out of this place to go find a phone in another place. Um, we know that Reese is following her at this point. Like she's semi aware that he's there, um, but she ducks into like the lobby. I guess you could call this a lobby of uh, of the night of a nightclub mm-hmm. uh, called what's it called? Like Techno Noir. Yeah, like something that? like that. And and to me, like I, if I recall correctly, she actually is ducking in there because she realizes that Reese is following her and she doesn't know why or she suspects it at least. And so she ducks in there to kind of dodge him. And, you know, hops in and is like, is there a phone? Because, you know, she's rushing. She's trying to get in there fast. Yeah. And there's two kind of interesting grace notes here. Like one, like Reese keeps walking. Yeah. He's smart enough to not follow her directly in, which is cool. Like let her know, like, okay, I'm not going to terrify her right now. Mm -hmm. And that the person in the club, you know, this lady bouncer or whatever who's out there is willing to let her use the phone. Like, I feel like in a lot of movies, it would be like another like, nope, sorry. You know, it would they'd shut her down here. But she makes the call. Well, she still says, you still owe me the entry fee to come into this club before you can go in there and use the phone. But, you know, yeah, yeah Sarah kind of throws money at her and runs in. So, yeah. Uh, and now we get Arnold uh, arriving at uh, the apartment where uh, the couple is uh, they're having sex. She goes to make a sandwich. Like everything is just kind of like they're having a good time while Arnold like skulks in and then uh just murders them both. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. I yeah, I love this. I think like again, the way this is shot is just horror movie, not sci-fi movie. Yeah. And Matt, for what it's worth, tries. He tries. It's just not going to work against a T eight hundred. You know. So no. Uh, and this is where we get the jump scare with the uh, with the iguana mm-hmm. uh, somewhere here. And man, she must have some really good headphones on that Walkman. I know, right? Any of this, she doesn't hear anything going on with Matt, and then Ginger gets it right after that because Ginger could cannot take her headphones off to save her soul. So yeah, she must have it up really loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At first, it's not clear. I mean, I guess you don't sort of notice her her headphones, but like I felt, I was like, oh, it's just like music playing in the house or it's just diegetic to the scene or whatever. And then you realize like, Oh, she really can't hear anything. It takes a little bit for you to realize it's so loud that she can hear nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, great. Uh, It's hard to call it a fight between Arnold and these people because it's just over so quickly, but yeah, it is really cool. And again, just scary. Well, Matt, Matt Um, takes his time, like his trying to, to, you know, take out Arnold fails, but then Ginger, like she gets injured, but then she's trying to crawl away. So it's really like she's in her blood and she's desperately trying to crawl away and then she gets it. And so it is horror movie ish because people are trying to do something. Even this big, strong young man can't do anything to him. And then like, you know, you get the desperate shot of the lady trying to struggle and get free and, and survive and, and she gets it too. So... Yeah, and then unfortunately, uh, she makes her biggest mistake of the movie when Sarah calls home to warn Ginger and Matt too late. And unfortunately, Arnold is there to hear the answering machine pick up this message. And she reveals, hey, I'm at Club Tech Noir. Basically, everything you would not want Arnold to hear, he hears. Yep. Yep. Hi there. I I fooled you. You're talking to a machine. But don't be shy. It's okay. Machines need love, too. So talk to it. And Ginger, that's me, or Sarah, will get back to you. Wait for the beep. Ginger, this is Sarah. Pick up if you're there. I'm at this place on Pico Boulevard called Tech Noir. I'm really scared. I think that there's somebody after me. Uh, I hope that you play this back soon. I need you and Matt to come and pick me up as soon as possible. The police keep transferring me around. I'm going to give them another try. The number here is 555-9175. Call me, kiddo. I need your help. So she then calls it. She does call the police and tells them where she is at, at this club. They tell her to stay put. They'll send for, send a car. Um, but now Arnold is there at the club and Arnold and Reese converge mm-hmm. on her. Um, I, I love, again, the way this is shot of like, he's so close to her and all it ta- he only needs just like one second to end her. Well, and while he's looking around the club, it's really well done because Sarah's sitting at a table and, you know, she drops something off the table or something and turns and then grabs it. But then that's how, you know, Arnold misses seeing her initially because of that. And so you see that happening. You see, you know, like Reese comes in, I think, after uh, the T-800 starts shooting. But um, or is he in there before before that? And no, he's in there before because what so. They're taking advantage of the height differential because, as you said, Sarah's sitting down yeah. at a table and Arnold's kind of on the other side of the dance floor. So you've got all these people standing up dancing in between Arnold and Sarah that makes her harder to see. But he is filtering his way through and he eventually is like right there on top of her with the gun mm-hmm. pointed at like yeah, yeah. pointed at her like the seconds laser. from mm-hmm. being killed with a laser that we've seen before when Reese 
shoots him at him from the side. Yeah. yeah. And that distracts him enough for them to be able to cause a ruckus and get away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's lots of collateral damage that happens here. A lot of people get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Both of them just firing away. Yeah. There's no concern for the safety of anybody else but Sarah Connor. But I guess understandably so. Yeah. Uh, and this is where Reese delivers you know, one of the movie's biggest taglines. Come with me if you want to live. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which everybody attributes to Arnold because, of course, Arnold uses it in T2. But Kyle Reese said it first. <laughs> and the, But, of course, the reason he says it in T2 is because John has told him she will trust you if you say that. Mm-hmm. It says, right, that that's how because that comes at that moment in Terminator 2 when she sees him for the first time and is understandably terrified that mm-hmm. he's back. And when he says that, it's like, it's okay. You know, as of course, John is screaming at her as well. Like, Hey, it's all right. He's the good one this time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? Yeah. But that come with me if you want to live is like the ultimate token of like, this guy's okay. Yeah. Right. He's saying what Kyle said to you. Um, uh, so yeah, now we get into this chase. Uh, we see for the first time, this is where we get Arnold vision. Mm-hmm. Where we see like he, everything he sees is in like this red, this very, it's very, almost very hard to read. It's a little easier to read, I think, in the second one, like what he sees. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get all that text on the side and the targeting. It's very similar to we just did a, an episode on RoboCop, mm-hmm. uh, and like very much the same kind of like digital targeting system. Although RoboCop can see in uh, full color, so. <laughs> uh, but he does have. I guess Arnold technically has human eyes. I'm not sure how that works because the human eyes that Arnold has, they are biological. But they're on top of his actual like yeah yeah I was real gonna red s- eyes underneath. I don't know how he sees with that. When they do the body horror of him taking out the eyeball and stuff, you see that it's just like some jelly stuff that's over the top of his Terminator eye. So his Terminator eye is left intact, even though his human eye was damaged. So, yeah, so he's, I guess he's just looking through the back of it mm-hmm. at you, which is creepy in and of itself. Uh, so yeah, so we get this chase. Um, and we get this again will be echoed in Terminator 2 where like Arnold's on the hood of their car at one point and like trying to reach through uh, T-1000 does a similar thing on the back of a car. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the ways these two movies kind of mirror each other. It's sort of hard to talk about it with T-1 only because obviously they didn't know there would be a Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. But I, I love the I think these two movies fit together so well. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost with like it feels like a trilogy almost in, in these two complete movies. Yeah. Setting aside the fact that a Terminator three, I have to acknowledge exists. Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. I I love how all this stuff is mirrored later, but just a great like action sequence here. Like you said, it is mostly a horror movie, but this like car chase, like this is Mm -hmm. pure James. This would fit very well into the second one, the way this is shot. Yes. Yeah, we get, like, a lot of Reese, like, telling her, like, just do what I say. Like, he, mm-hmm. she will not listen to him. Uh, well, she's terrified. She's terrified and locked up, and she's not understanding. And he's like, I need you to, like, snap the hell out of it. I need you to do what I'm telling you to do right now. Don't hesitate. But she's never been in a situation like this before. She doesn't know who this is or what this thing is that's following her. All these people just died. You know, she's she's understandably shell-shocked. And, um, you know, like that is very, very different than what you get for Sarah in T2. So this is, you know, uh, no, this very, is very. What, uh, this is, this mm-hmm. is what forges her into that badass. Yes. You know, And it's it's nice to see here. I mean, but she's still competent. Like she's not totally like she's out of her element mm-hmm. and she is scared, but she doesn't seem like damseled. Yeah. If that makes sense. You yeah. know, like she's still, you know, a, a fully fleshed out person. 
Although I think at a certain point you should realize he did rescue me from that thing. So he's probably, I probably should trust this guy more than the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> who was yeah. pointing a gun at my head. Yeah. So then we get back to Arnold. He, uh, I believe this is where he, he takes a cop car at mm-hmm. this point. And he does something, we, we see him do this maybe once or twice in this movie, but he impersonates the cop's voice yeah. perfectly, which I you had this in your notes, so I'll let you take this point, which is very funny. Well, so something that, because I, I did a watch party with my Jolly Chines Place folks, and so when we were watching it, and then after when we were discussing it, some folks had never seen it before or hadn't seen it in a very long time, and then as we were talking about it after, they were like... Well, you know what's funny is that because the Terminator can impersonate any voice, that means that he made, you know, the Terminator made a choice to have the Austrian accent when he's talking normally as as if that's like the most, you know, yes, this integrates me into society perfectly <laughs> to have this Austrian accent in L.A. <laughs> ah, I fit in very well. <laughs> yeah, it, it is odd. I think I read somewhere there was I don't know if this was some James Cameron's idea or someone was trying to justify this by saying like, well, he is the T-800. He's not uh, the the machines aren't as good yet mm-hmm. uh, doing this. But then again, he does impersonate someone else perfectly. So that kind mm-hmm. of blows that argument out of the water. Right. Um, but I don't know. It never bothers me like this. Ha- you know where this really ends up bothering me is other Arnold movies. Where not not that his accent bothers me, but that nobody does the find and replace in the script for his name. So like he's playing a character like you know in Total Recall like Douglas Quaid, mm-hmm. like you know I, I forget what, Harry Tasker in True Lies. Like he's got the most like non-Germanic name you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> right. Like yeah, I, yeah. My name is Scotty McCracken. That's my voice. This is how Scotty McCracken sounds. Right. Like, just find, just do a find and replace. Change the character's name so his name last name is you know Schnitzelgruben or whatever. So I believe it. But it's very funny. They're like, nope. This is how it's written. He is going to be Scotty McCracken as Arnold loves Schnitzel. If you called him Schnitzel, he'd be happy. <laughs> yeah, that's one of his nicknames. See, I've had it. Um. So where are we? Oh yeah. So. Um, now we finally get like, uh, the download mm-hmm. where Reese tells Sarah, here's what's up. Here's the plot of the movie. I'm here to help you. I'm Reese, Sergeant Techcom, BN38416, assigned to protect you. You've been targeted for termination. This is 1L19. Westbound and Olympic approaching Overland. This is a mistake. I didn't do anything. No, but you will. It's very important that you live. This isn't true. How could that man just get up after you did? It's not a man. Machine. Terminator. Cyberdyne Systems Model 101. Uh, he is uh, he's trying to kill you. He's a cyborg. Cyberdyne Systems Model 101. Uh, and he's coming to kill you. Uh, it's, you know, flesh on top, machine underneath. Um, and we start to get a little more of the cool, like, not not just the basic, like, yes, it's a machine is trying to kill you. 
but he layers in stuff about the future too that like th- this is a newer terminator the old ones used to have like rubbery skin and mm-hmm. you could kind of spot them from a mile away um and that they are designed to get up close and infiltrate and like arnold's not very human but obviously he reads as human enough that he could get up in your face before you started to recognize something was wrong mm-hmm. and see like in uh like the terminator 2 movie and the other unacknowledged things that were produced of terminator later like they all the terminators are newer models and therefore they are are more um capable of making themselves appear human until they aren't you know appearing human when they choose to switch over to being machine mode and everything so which means that those actors who play like the t-1000 and so on like they don't have to be in the the terminator mode the whole time but in this movie you know arnold schwarzenegger the entire time has to be you know machine mode so yeah another another good comparison to robocop is you know the the kind of the uh body acting here yeah that like peter weller as robocop does so much to sell that he is a machine chassis you mm-hmm. know even though it's just yeah it's just a costume um he absolutely sells the weight of that and like the way the gyros must be working in his joints and arnold does the same thing here like even though he's obviously fleshy and robocop is not like you believe that the it's just a bunch of yeah servos and gears and and metal things under there even before we actually get to see what he looks like underneath. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I'm sure he worked with somebody for a long time to like kind of make sure that looked right. And it's it pays off like he, he absolutely sells it. But also, like you said, in a way that like the later Terminators, they have to sell that like Arnold is outmoded against these later versions of the Terminator um, that Cyberdyne is producing or Skynet is making. Uh, and that like there's something about this version of him that's like kind of halfway in between. Like he is superior as a threat, but he's still like a machine chassis. Like, you know, I could probably destroy a car if I wanted to, mm-hmm. if I put my mind, it'd be hard, but it's not, you know, the unfathomable thing that the T-1000 is, right? Yeah. Like it is a, still a physical threat I can comprehend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's, yeah, he's, t- he's tough, he, he's, but he's not impossible. Well, it, it's kind um, of like, you know, it has those beats of like a slasher film. So, you know, like in a slasher film, the slasher can be taken down. It's not impossible, even if it is very hard to do. And so that's kind of what's going on here. And then like you see the characters, they're introduced and then they start to die off. And, you know, granted, there weren't very many named characters other than Sarah and Kyle, but like Ginger and Matt got it. And then a bunch of collateral damage around that also got it and in a kind of slashery way. Yeah. Some other cool stuff in this scene between Kyle and Sarah, he he mentions he's from one possible future. Yeah. Which I like is the idea of like, you know, there you open up the possibility of like, okay, well, maybe if they succeed or if they fail, things do turn out differently and that can branch. Um, he also says something to her about like, he gives this line about, you know, it can't be bargained or reasoned with, and blah, which I believe is echoed in T2. Some, some very similar line to that, which is cool. Um, I think Sarah says it to to John at one point. Uh, and yeah, I love uh, this scene ends with, you know, can you stop it? And he honestly says, I don't know, which is great. Yeah. Well, so the thing um, about, um, we'll want to put a pin in that, but the stu- the thing about the one possible future, the thing that's interesting about the way that Terminator does 
time time travel-y stuff. So like the first movie, the way that and, and most of the rest of the Terminator stuff that was produced is is the same where it doesn't actually play in the space of it actually there's an alternate future. The only one that does is Terminator Genesis, which doesn't exist <laughs> according to right. as we, as we uh, according to the show's canon. So um yeah. that's the only one that has a different future version of events. And so that one's the only one that plays with that. The everything else is more of like the the again like the late seventies um, concepts of time, which is like it's faded. So like you know, um, Kyle Reese is going to come back in time, and certain things are going to happen, and that's just how it is. And it can go back in time, but you know, ultimately, you know, like they're trying to change something, you know, in the future, but like. You know, it, as the movies progress, like in T2, like, you know, oh, no, like it might have delayed the apocalypse or whatever. Or it didn't, you know, D-Day or whatever, but it didn't actually, you know, stop it from happening. It still happened, you know, and now we have to well, still try to I, fix it, you know. Yeah, I love the hopeful note that T2 goes out on that maybe we did, you know, maybe we did stop it. Yeah. Um, we don't we won't know. And kind of not the, the relief of like, well, I don't I, I could at least have the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Of whether Judgment Day is coming, that I like that, which is one of the things that like is a bummer of like the, you kind of rob that in the later sequels. I do think the idea in T three of like the whole point of T three was just just to make sure that John survived mm-hmm. Judgment Day. That is a cool idea from a sci fi story. I just wish it didn't undo the ending of Terminator Two. Well, um, the other thing though in mm-hmm. Terminator Two, I'll just one quick point. There was an ending that they cut mm-hmm. um, that was like where you saw like a shining, shimmery future where everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And James Cameron wisely cut partially because the effects on it are not up to scratch for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, again, I think that just the dark road at night is a much more interesting ending. Than, yeah, than... but like like the split timelines thing is kind of like a concept that would be later developed by like 90s and 2000s uh, sci-fi ideas more than like the time in which this movie was made. So. Yeah, this is looking more like Back to the Future rules. Yeah. Right? You change something and, and the future is altered. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so where are we? Oh, yeah. So so we're, we're everybody's driving around looking for each other. Uh, and Sarah and Kyle get to a, a garage. They need to ditch this car because Arnold recognizes it and finds something new. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, that doesn't go well uh, because I think they they get Arnold catches up with them pretty quick or the police do. Uh, hold up. But, but also, this is where we get a little more about the future, where uh, Kyle kind of tells you the story of like how Judgment Day came to be. I don't understand. Defense network computers. New. Powerful. Hooked into everything. Trusted to run it all. They say it got smart. A new order of intelligence. Then it saw all people as a threat, not just the ones on the other side. Decided our fate in a microsecond. Extermination. Did you see this one? Hunter killers. 
patrol machines built in automated factories. Most of us were rounded up, put in camps for orderly disposal. Spurned in by laser scan. Some of us were kept alive to work. Loading bodies. The disposal units ran night and day. We were that close to going out forever. But there was one man who taught us to fight, to storm the wire of the camps, to smash those metal motherfuckers into junk. He turned it around. He brought us back from the brink. His name is Connor. John Connor. Your son, Sarah. Your unborn son. You know, that the, the machines became self-aware. They said humans got to go. And I love this. We don't get any of this in Terminator 2, but they talk about, like, some of the... Basically, humans are... The humans who didn't die in the initial, uh, you know, fireball are, you know, they're still alive. And some of them were put into labor camps. Mm-hmm. You know, basically a human holocaust. And that's a really interesting point that, like, uh, John Connor freed all of these slaves. And that's where the human uprising begins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like all this stuff. Yeah, well, again, it's it's again channeling some more of the U.S. history of of wars and and stuff like that. You know, with again like World War II, Holocaust type stuff, and and labor camps and you know stuff like that. So, and this exact thing that he sort of describes with John kind of coming in, like he freed us and he taught us to fight. Like this exact thing is in the original Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, you know, Morpheus tells the exact same story. Yep. Uh, so yeah, this there's something kind of primal about this idea. Um, so yes, Arnold uh, finds his way to the parking garage. Uh, he starts firing. They drive off in a different car, and now we basically have a redux of this pursuit out into the street again. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where um, they. They break or somehow like they Arnold is pursuing them, but they they break. Arnold zooms past them because he's going too fast and just slams into a wall, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know, great. Um, just great cartoon chase logic. If you're yeah. ever in a chase is what you do. You just come to a complete stop and they just keep going. Yeah. Well, and then, too, like my thought when I was watching it was like, this is before the crash test dummies and I think before the seatbelt requirements <laughs> and everything. But like, you know, that's the first thing I was thinking about was all the, the later safety stuff that would come out. Because back in that time, you didn't need to wear Not that anybody would in a chase scene anyway, but you didn't need to wear your seatbelt. And it was showing kind of horrific car crash with damage to the T-800. Yeah. But well, and there's definitely no use of uh, seatbelts here because I think at one point, you know, Kyle makes Sarah drive the car while mm-hmm. he gets out and shoots, that kind of stuff. Uh, and Arnold would not care no. about a seatbelt. No. He's, you know, based on what he's made out of, he's probably fine. Yeah. Um, but he's not quite fine in this, as we'll see in a minute. Um, he is. He does sustain some injuries. But the cops close in at this point. They're able to get the drop on uh, Sarah and uh, Kyle. Uh, and we notice that Arnold is not in the crashed car anymore. And we go to uh, the police station where Sarah is being interviewed. Uh, she's told about Matt and Ginger, which is upsetting. And we meet uh, Dr. Silberman for the mm-hmm. first time in the first three movies. And uh, I love that he's like talking to Sarah about like, oh, yeah, this Kyle Reese guy. What a gibbering maniac. He's you know 
hallucinating and like knowing what will happen in the second movie mm-hmm. is just like, oh, she has at no point does he ever go like, yeah, it's weird. The guy she was with that night said all the same stuff about uh, this crazy future and robots and stuff. Yeah. Um, but the way Kyle is behaving here, uh, you know, his like, you know, you, you know, don't you get it? You're all going to die. All that stuff. Exactly echoed by Sarah in Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love like watching Kyle kind of come unglued here because he is he's desperate and he knows like just time is is ticking. Mm-hmm. So you're a soldier fighting for whom? With the 132nd under Perry from 21 to 27. That's the year 2027. That's right. And I was assigned to this is fucking great. The last two years under John Connor. Who was the enemy again? A computer defense system built for... Built for SAC NORAD by Cyberdyne Systems. I see. And this uh, computer thinks it can win by uh, killing the mother of its enemy. Killing him, in effect, before he's even conceived. A sort of retroactive abortion? That guy Silverman cracks me up. Last week he had this guy in there that burned his afghan. He screwed it first, then he said it hey, off. Hey, shut up. Uh, why didn't the computer just kill Connor then? Why this elaborate scheme with the Terminator? It had no choice. Their defense grid was smashed. We'd won. Taking out Connor then would make no difference. Uh, Skynet had to wipe out his entire existence. Is that when you captured the lab complex and found that, uh, what is it called? Uh, the time displacement equipment? That's right. The Terminator had already gone through. Connor sent me to intercept, and they blew the whole place. Oh, how are you supposed to get back? I can't. Nobody goes home. Yeah, and a lot of times, like, one of the things that was commented by some of the people in, in the watch party, again, was just like, um, at this point... He should know that what he's trying to tell them is not something that they're going to be able to believe because they don't have any proof that this is a thing. So they just are going to think that he's, you know, uh, lost his mind somewhere or is on drugs or something, you know, and and that's yeah, he could thing. have said something more believable about what was happening. Like, yeah, this guy's out to get us. He didn't have to say also he's a robot from the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I mean, like he's he's trying to just tell like they the, the way that this movie is shot is such that Kyle does not tell you any untruths. He's not going to omit things and have, you know, like uh, a lie by omission, you know. Yeah, that's true. He, I guess that makes him kind of a more honest and forthright character, but he, I would hope he'd be a little more cunning. You like, would we got to get out of this police station. Let me say something Well, I mean, helpful. to, to be know, fair, I mean, like, in the future he's from, there's not really a lot of negotiation going on with anybody about anything, so... No, I, I suppose not. And you wonder, like, how much did John tell him yeah. about what would happen? You know, d- you know, because in theory, John should know this entire story mm-hmm. inside and out. And, you know, do we know what and I wonder if there was like, does Kyle have to know, like, listen, Kyle, you're going to get caught. You're going to go to a police station. You have to say and do these things. Mm-hmm. Or is it that John has to not tell him these things? Because if he does tell him, it will skew it in some way where it doesn't yeah. Yeah. come to fruition. We don't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's but that concept is in play. And this um, whole part in the police station is so good, too, because, you know, like the police yeah. station, especially in the 84, like you're thinking, OK, these are the cops. They're the good guys. They're going to help us and this, that and the other. And then they're not buying the story. And then, you know, uh, as we see uh, unfold, it's actually a really scary situation they find themselves in under police protection. 
Yeah, especially for the 80s, uh, that's that's de rigueur that, you know, the cops are generally not portrayed as corrupt. They're upstanding. Mm-hmm. We covered this in RoboCop as well, that, like, the lo- like the, the street-level police guys, at least, like, yeah. they, they're all doing their level best. They're what you want yeah. police to act like. Yeah. Um, and, and these guys, like, yeah, they don't believe Sarah and Kyle. They're not helping them, but not because they're bad in any way. They're reacting naturally to what they're saying and doing. Yeah. Um, and we get... Uh, Arnold in a dark room with some prosthetic heads here to do what you had mentioned before, which is he has to remove his eyeball because it's injured. And, uh, and to do like the, cut the, open his arm and clean, you know, fix some of the the um, different stuff in his hand to make his hand work again. It's a bunch of body horror stuff, actually, because they show all of this stuff and they've got like the mannequin head and all of that. So, yeah, it's it's pretty well done for 84. The, the, I think that the fake Arnold head, they could have shot a little better to hide that it's a, a yeah. rubber head. But like it overall, though, I think the the horror of it is enough to kind of distract you from that because you're almost like I'm not looking at the head. I'm staring at the eye, this big mm-hmm. red crazy eye that he's got. Uh, and he puts on some shades and he's now like iconic Terminator look. He's he ditches the. Um, the street punk's clothes at some point, and now he's in the leather jacket. Like he looks like, you know, uh, action figure Terminator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so all right, so we're back at the police station. Uh, yeah, in, Kyle is trying to explain his mission, and I think someone refers to what he's that he's worried about is what they call a retroactive abortion. Yeah, someone uses that phrase, uh-huh. um, which is very funny. Yeah, that was um, Silberman when he was talking to he was he was kind of analyzing what Kyle was saying and talking to. I don't know if it was the cops or Sarah or both, um, but he's like, "Oh, that's interesting." And then there's no way that he can have a shred of proof about all of that. It's really fascinating, and you know, just because he's really interested in it from just the psychology of it, because he thinks this guy's just off his rocker. Well, and the only thing that lets us know he's not is the absolute knowledge that we get to see as the audience. Because if I was in Silverman's position, yeah, I would think he was crazy, too. Like, I would not believe this story. Um, I do like the detail that that Kyle drops in here, that the reason the Terminators are doing this at all, uh, this time travel mission, is that they're desperate. Yeah. That the humans are actually winning the war, despite kind of what we see in these flashbacks and stuff, mm-hmm. um, that humans are closing in on Skynet. Um, and so this is their last ditch effort to take out the leader of the human resistance. And he says that, like, they blew up the time travel facility yeah. behind me. Uh, nope, they did not. Yeah. <laughs> we know that for sure. At least twice they got there. Maybe there's another one. Um, but, yeah, I, I it's just him and me. Uh, but, yeah, that's a cool element, too, that, like... the it makes it even more desperate. Like, yeah, the humans are going to win this war. Mm-hmm. They have, we have to save her- Sarah. Um, so yeah, that's great. Yeah. It makes it um, really claustrophobic, right? It's claustrophobic for Sarah. It's claustrophobic for Kyle because both of them, you know, aren't being believed by other people around them. And, you know, despite being surrounded by lots of people, they're alone. They're yeah. profoundly, profoundly alone. Uh, we get some more layering in here of like world building stuff too. Cause they ask him like, well, why not? Why aren't you guys using, space ray guns and stuff and he says we can't take them through the time travel only organic matter can go through Mm -hmm. and how can the terminator go through because he's covered in actual organic skin and that you can i guess you can take anything you want through time travel if you put it in a meat bag 
Yeah, which, of course, uh, snarky folks watching the movie with me were like, he couldn't have put something up his rectum? <laughs> you know, like, just, you know, swallow something and, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, the, he just does say in the film that, like, he doesn't have a lot of time. Like, they're, they're just in the facility and he's just got to go, go, go. And John just sends him, you know, like, there's not a lot of time to prepare or anything like that. Even though John knows what's coming you know like that that um you know the time travel device okay this is that point he doesn't know exactly how it's going to pan out in the future you know yeah and i mentioned this in the terminator 2 podcast but there was at one point because of this world building detail there was an idea that the t-1000 who is made of metal who looks like skin but is not to make him time travelable would have to appear inside a sphere of flesh, mm-hmm. which is a cool idea, but I think it would be pretty odd to actually see yeah. on screen. I'm glad they just kind of went with like, no, no, he just comes through and he, he can mimic human skin well enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need the flesh ball. So um, they're trying to explain to Sarah, like, you know, what you saw Arnold do, you know, is, is, he's just wearing Kevlar and stuff. That's why he took so many bullets. Like it's, you know, you're don't worry. This is not what you think it is. He's probably on PCP. That's why mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. take all that stuff. Uh, so now we get to one of the most famous scenes in any movie mm-hmm. uh, with one of the most famous lions in any movie, because Arnold walks into the police station, uh, says he's a friend of Sarah's. He wants to see her and is told he can't. And so he declares that he will return shortly. Or yes. Words to that effect. <laughs> Indeed. I'm a friend of Sarah Connor. I was told that she's here. Could I see her, please? No, can't see her. She's making a statement. Where is she? Look, it may take a while. I want to wait. There's a bench over there. I'll be back. And boy, does he. Oh, yeah. It, not subtle, the T-800. <laughs> no, um, I love this because you are, based on what we've seen, we were expecting him to just come back guns blazing. And they're like, well, what if he did something else Yeah, that would be even cooler? And so he just busts through the front of this police station uh, with a, just with a Buick or whatever he's got. Yeah, whatever <laughs> kind of vehicle amazing. that is. Yeah, well, that's because, like, um, isn't there, like... Um like a, a passing way station point or something. And he just, I don't know. He ends up just like smashing the walls and everything. So it probably makes sense. Cause like if, even if he managed to kill the guy at the front, there might, there might be a lock or something yeah. that would impede his efforts to get further into the police station. But yeah, just by blow blasting through it with a vehicle, he can just go right through. Uh, and now we're up to this really cool massacre in the police station, mm-hmm. which like, this is like, this really lets you know how good the T-800 is, like, mm-hmm. tactically. Because before, it's just been, like, one person at a time, the the two unarmed, uh, you know, uh, Matt and Ginger, you know, civilians. Here he is up against an entire police station, just systematically, like, room to room, just taking people out. Um, and, I, yeah, this is so well shot. I love this. This is probably the highlight of the movie for me. 
Right, right. And then, too, the fact that um, Sarah is separated from Kyle and she is having to hide under desks and just, you know, creep around and, you know, pray that the T-800 doesn't notice her and stuff. Again, there's more of that horror element. It's more claustrophobic. She's having to hide in small, small spaces to get away from this thing that's coming for her. And she doesn't know where it's at or where, you know, anything is. And she does nothing to defend herself. So, And Reese as well, who has, you know, he's, you know... um He's in handcuffs or something. He's not, he's first. He has to get himself free to be able to help her. Mm-hmm. So claustrophobic on his end as well. Um, and I love the way this gets used in T two as well, where she's in the mental institution and the police come to see her and they're like, they show her all the photos of this. And like here's this guy shooting up a police station in 1984, and here's this guy at the mall today, mm-hmm. right? And she has to like appear stone faced while they show her these pictures. Like it's a great way of again efficiently reusing this stuff. But just looking at this scene in isolation. Yeah, this is Cameron at the top of his game in terms of like yeah, it you even though our the characters don't know where Arnold is, we still have a sense of like how he's moving through these spaces to get to them. It's mm-hmm. it's a very wonderful like yeah, cat and mouse part of the movie. Well, and then too, I want to say about like when Arnold drives the vehicle through the building, that is really good in terms of just like the bombastic nature of what would happen in T2, and it also shows again kind of like this machine is going to, you know, find a different way of doing it that's not the way that humans think, right? So it's going to do something that's, what's the most efficient way to get into this place? Well, we're just going to smash it down. Like, not just kill the one guy. We're just going to smash it and then go inside and then systematically take out everything room to room, you know, um, from there. Yeah, and he doesn't, he's he's becoming less and less worried about being stealthy. Yeah, well, because he knows his target. For, you, know. you know, he doesn't care about anybody else, and there's not uh, technology to really, you know, attack him and, and do much damage to him at this point, because he had to ram into a wall at very high speeds to be damaged. So the guns are ineffective. So all everybody's armor, you know, stuff that they've got in the police station, a typical police station isn't enough. Yeah, and his ability to uh, pass as human has been compromised by the loss of his eye. Yeah. So, you know, less incentive for him to be stealthy anyway. Um, And I always wondered, like, what would happen if he killed Sarah Connor? Does he have, like, a secondary mission? Like, well, you're stuck in 1984 anyway, so, you know, go do other stuff. Um, And I wonder if he even knows on some level of, like, by the way, since your brain and arm are going to be the inspiration for Skynet... You have to make sure that you are found or something. I've, you know, obviously James Cameron wouldn't know that Terminator 2 was coming. He did have some ideas about you know, the complete story. This was he originally planned to do a lot of that stuff in this movie. The original villain was going to be the T-1000, but the special effects did not allow for a shape-shifting Terminator in 1984. Mm-hmm. So some of that stuff was in the mix. So I wonder you know, how much of that is in there. But yeah, it's the idea of like, okay, I killed Sarah. I guess I'll go get a cup of coffee now. Like, what am well, I going to do? Well, and that's a, a thing that's approached in um, other of uh, the Terminator movies. Like Terminator Dark Fate, for example, where you see the T-800 again. And this time he's old. And this time he's, he's actually in that movie um, gone on to end up getting like i guess married or live in with a, a lady and you know his son and like he's helping to raise a child and all of that and has a day job and all this stuff but like you know i'm it, very glad that movie doesn't exist no actually i will say i actually <laughs> really like dark fate i really really like dark fate um okay. But anyway, like it's it's basically it talks about like, you know, his he talks about his mission and what happens when his mission is over. And then what does he do with himself? And that movie has like his part in that movie is about that. 
and how he ends up um, making himself useful still to, you know, what he thinks, you know, he should create for his own mission is really cool when you get to that part. But all right, I will I will. I will give it the benefit of the doubt. I was let down by Salvation and noped out. Oh, no. Salvation is is not great. Uh, No. But I liked Dark Fate. Anyway. Okay. Proceed. All right. uh, So, uh, Sarah and and Kyle do escape. Um, uh, They make it. uh, They they drive away until they run out of gas. And they decide to spend the night under an overpass or something. Um, And Kyle tells her more about the future. Tell me about my son. It's about my height. He has your eyes. What's he like? You trust him. He's got a strength. I'd die for John Connor. At least now I know what to name him. I suppose you know who the father is, so I won't tell him to get lost when I meet him. And John never said much about him. I know he dies before the Wait. war. Wait. I don't want to know. So, was it John that sent you here? I volunteered. Why? There's a chance to meet the legend. Sarah Connor. Taught her son to fight, organize, prepare from when he was a kid, when you were in hiding before the war. <laughs> You're talking about things that I haven't done yet in the past tense. It's driving me crazy. Are you sure you have the right person? I'm sure. Um, he delivers the message from John mm-hmm. that uh, she's supposed to hear of the future is not set. Um, and uh, he says, you know, he'd die for her. He tells her what going through time travels like. Um, and yeah, it's just a just kind of this nice. We finally get a human moment to have them bond while we get a flash forward again. Uh, about his life kind of in this bunker where like a ter- not Arnold, but a Terminator infiltrates a a human bunker and there's a huge firefight and we see where he gets a lot of those burns from. Yeah. Well, and then in that same scene, you get to see a lot of other dystopian stuff. Like there's um, some people that are huddled around what used to be like an old CRT TV set or something uh, that's been broken. And then they, they have like a fire going inside of it. Cause that makes a lot of sense. But anyway, they've got that going in there and that's how they're keeping warm. They're huddled around a TV, but you know, and in this dystopian way where they're just trying to survive and it's not, you know, for entertainment purposes and things and other yeah. stuff like that, that you see throughout this, this place where they're just eating basically whatever gruel, and stuff and, and miserable and sick and, you know, huddled. Yeah. And there's an oil drum fire, which is required for any uh, future dystopia. You must have an oil drum full of fire. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, so Sarah is just asleep in Kyle's arms. Um, and we get this thing about uh, the picture of Sarah. He's been carrying this around, um, you know, that uh, we learn later, like he's basically fallen in love with her by just staring at this picture. Mm-hmm. Um, we wonder how much John has been kind of engineering that 
you know, uh-huh. saying like, "Oh, you should check out this picture. She's pretty hot, right?" <laughs> uh, you know, letting her know, letting her know, because he's he's got a very vested interest in making sure that he is attracted to her. Uh-huh. Um, uh, he tells us her about you know dogs uh, being used to spot the Terminators, um, and Arnold goes back to the apartment to review like he finds like Sarah's address book and finds a notation about like this cabin mm-hmm. that they go to sometimes. So it's a secondary address for him to check. Um, and uh, so, yeah, they, they go to a motel uh, cause he needs a shower or she needs a shower. Um, and they need to make she, equipment. So, so Kyle goes yeah. out to go get some stuff to make, you know, like pipe bombs and things like that because they need something to arm themselves against the Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And also, uh, she unfortunately calls her mom Mm -hmm. uh, and talks to her for a while. And I love that they let this go on for a while, this call with her mom, before they cut to the other side of the conversation. And of course, it is not mom. It is Arnold. Yeah, uh, because his best Mrs. Connor. Yeah, because um, the mom was told by Sarah to go up to this uh, cabin that they have and to go stay there and to be safe and everything. And so the beginning of the conversation is like, I don't know why I need to be here, Sarah. I need to know where you are and this, that and the other. And, you know, uh, urging with motherly concern, I need to know how I can contact you and this, that and the other. And that's the Terminator who's doing all that. But you don't know right at first. And so it's real cool because, you know, like you're you're hearing this side of the conversation and it just sounds like a mom, you know. But and then you, it cuts to the other side of the phone and there's, you know, Arnold talking, you know, and the words coming out. Yeah. We don't see what happened to the mom, but uh, probably terminated. Yes. Um, so, yeah. yes. Uh, so that's it. Uh, so, yeah, we get more uh, bomb making um, from them. He, Kyle mentions he doesn't have somebody special in the future. Uh, well, and, because Sarah uh, asks, yeah. she's like, is there anybody special for you in the future? And he's like, uh, no. <laughs> just this picture of you yeah not creepy at all uh, i came across but then he's like i came across time for you sarah you know and he he confesses his love to her at this point kyle the women in your time what are they like good fighters it's not what i meant was there someone special Someone. A girl, you know. No. Never. Never. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. So much pain. Pain can be controlled. You just disconnect it. So you feel nothing? John Connor gave me a picture of you once. I didn't know why at the time. It was very old. Torn. Faded. You were young, like you are now. You seem just a little sad. I used to always wonder what you were thinking at that moment. I memorized every line. Every curve. 
I came across time for you, Sarah. I love you. I always have. Yeah, I always found this a little odd. Uh, you know, he's fallen in love with her via a, a photograph of her. He's like, I came across time for you. Like, well, you came across time to save the human race. Like, not just, you know, not just because you wanted to get down with her. Yeah. But, you know, it makes you wonder, like, did he volunteer for this mission? Or, you know, clearly John, um, you know, made sure he was the one who undertook the mission because he knows that Kyle Reese is his father. Um, that is the one good thing about Salvation. I like some of the stuff about, like, oh, shit, we can't let him die. Mm-hmm. We have like a young Kyle Reese, and it's like, no, no, no. If anything happens to him, we're we're fucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, why I can't tell you, but we got that, that stuff was good. That that part of the movie was effective. Um, but yeah, now we get uh, sexy time. Hmm. Yep. And for uh, some of the folks in the watch party, they were like, "This is the first time I saw boobs on film," you know, because <laughs> there's <Yeah>. boobs. <laughs> I, yeah, I forgot that they, they actually showed it because mm-hmm. um, I, I think it was an R-rated movie, but I never. Like the Terminator Two has no um, romancy stuff in it mm-hmm. by its nature. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this was like, oh yeah, right. They're supposed to get together. I didn't know they would show quite that much, um, but it's fine. Yeah. Well, I'm, most I'm of a the grown times, up. I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. most of the times. So I I I must have watched it um, like on via VHS or something as well when I was younger because I had known that you could see you know uh, man butt and you know lady boobs, but like. You know, of course, when they showed it on TV, that those parts are very easy to cut out of the movie. So, you know, they just like cut cut little bits of it out for the, the showing on TV. So I had actually forgotten because it had been a while since the last time I watched it. And I think the last time I watched it was like the TV version of it. You know, like I forgot. Oh, yeah, there is nudity in here other than the butts, you know, because I forgot yeah. the boobies. So, yep. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, a very bonus. Yeah. yeah. So. But yeah, and and it fits with the horror movie trope that you get a little like, OK, there's sex and that means somebody's got to die. Yep. Right? Yep. For sure. And yeah. they also use this part, too, to also like show Sarah's hand like on on Kyle's back and with all the scars and like reminding you again that he's a soldier from the future and so on. Yeah, he's probably never known any like moment like this. Well, ever, he, he says that he says that in the film because yeah. she's like, you've never. And he's like, uh, no, no. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. Uh, and now, uh, Arnold, of course, is on a mission. He's, he's on his way. Dogs are barking at him. We get like a little more shot of Terminator vision as he approaches this hotel room and he just starts firing indiscriminately, but Kyle and Sarah hit him with a truck and drive off. Uh, I will we say, get, yeah, I, I will chase, s- chase, bang, bang. Yeah. But like right before that, just in the very, very brief moment when they wake up, Sarah and, and Kyle wake up in the morning, there's a moment where Sarah's kind of like teasing him, you know, just for a minute and just like, ha, you know, whatever. And they're just being playful and cutesy like a couple would be for like two seconds. And then this, everything hits the fan and then it's action, action, action again. And now they're they're on the run. So. Yeah. Th- at this point, it's now just action all the way through to the yeah. end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so we get kind of our, yeah, this big, um, car chase and, uh, they're throwing pipe bombs back at him mm-hmm. in this tunnel. Unfortunately, they keep kind of missing there. It's a little, it blows up a little too early. It blows up a little too late. Um, Kyle gets shot during this. Um, Sarah manages to run, uh, Arnold off the road, uh, but flips the truck mm-hmm. that, uh, they're in. They run out. Arnold gets back up uh, and is hit by a semi, bringing finally in our semi, 
and it's just dragged under it. Uh, and Arnold just uh, limps, takes the driver out, and he's limping, though. Like, I love that, like, yep, he's still a machine. Like, he is, you can break him just like you could, you know, any other metal device. And he, he has that limp for the rest of the movie, at least as long as he has his uh, bottom half. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And it takes the the massiveness of a semi hitting him at full speeds to make him start to limp. So, you know, at this point in the movie, like the first, second, third, 50th time I watch it, I'm always just like, I know what, you know, when you when you've watched it before, you know how the Terminator is taken out. But you're like, you're just like, how in the world you can imagine Sarah and Kyle at this point going, I do not know how we are going to do this, you know. Like, how, how yeah. are we going to take this thing out? It does not stop. It It's so hard to kill. Yeah. Basically, you need something like a massive vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the only, it's the only way that he ever really gets damaged is basically from getting, you know, in that, being hit in that car crash this time and then kind of the end of the movie mm-hmm. uh, with the press. Um, he, he, when he takes the truck driver out, he says, get out, which uh, I love how they reuse that for T2 with the helicopter. Mm-hmm. You know, same same line, same bit, but still funny. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, they get they get away, they run into this, um, they use the pipe bomb to blow up the truck with Arnold in it, and they think, oh good, uh, but no, we just turned him into a skeleton. Mm-hmm. So that is the end of Arnold for this movie. He will be replaced by uh, Stan Winston effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, in stop motion as a skeleton, but still pretty effective for stop motion. I would still prefer this over, I think, a shiny uh, CG. Yeah, me too. Terminator. Me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the T-1000 works in CG because he is a metal blob that, you know, it's it's incredible to look at. I think if you made a CG T-800 skeleton, it would be, it just would be weak. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, there's definitely, like, a feeling of solidity that you get with the little stop motion guy because it is an actual object rather than a CG object. Yeah. And we, again, uh, parallels to RoboCop. Again, they did that with the uh, ED-209 mm-hmm. in that movie. And same thing. We we, came, we all discussed that. We're like, yeah, it, a CG ED-209 would not have this level of, like, it's the little details that go into this stuff that make it kind of pop mm-hmm. that would just be missing in CGI. Um so they go into this facility. It's not even clear what this facility is, but it's some kind of a factory. Um, and they are they shut the door, um, but it just kind of it, it's like limping towards them. It's like banging on the door, um, and they turn on the factory so they can create a cover. Hopefully, like the noise and like commotion of the factory will help them avoid immediate detection. Yeah. By, well, s- yeah. By the T eight hundred. Some of that is because so at this point, Kyle is also losing blood rapidly. And so he's kind of woozy and having a hard time moving. And so he stops to turn everything on. And he's like, we need this for cover. And, you know, meanwhile, Sarah's just like, come on, what are you doing? We got to go. And he's like, no, 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 we have to turn this on. We have to turn this on to, to you know, because he knows how to fight it. He's like, OK, we have to do this to distract it or, you know, hopefully cover some of our sounds. Yeah, so. and this is where she you know, yells at him on your feet, soldier. Like he is, mm-hmm. he is not in good shape. Yeah, he's um, he's we'll stumbling see. around and, and following, falling, and it's at the point where the Terminator is coming after the both of them, and he's very visible and right there. And Kyle is just like stumbled over, and she's like screaming at him, "No, on your feet! You have to get up! We have to go!" Yeah, uh, she turns on the press machine. This giant, just basically a big metal square that comes down on these pistons with God knows how many foot pounds of pressure on that thing. Um, so she turns that on, but she just, Kyle just tells her, you know, run. Um, you know, so she runs. Reese uh, 
goes after the Terminator with, uh, of course, the world's greatest hero, the inanimate carbon rod. Yeah. Well, (laughs) at that point, uh, the Terminator was coming at him and, you know, like there's some stairs and stuff and he's just like, I I can't get up these stairs with, you know, his stumbling and this, that and the other. And so he turns to fight the Terminator to give her some time and then, you know, tells him to run or tells her to run. Yeah. Uh, but he manages to use a pipe bomb that blows off the Terminator's lower half. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that helps. Um, but uh, I, she, Sarah has a wound in her leg from shrapnel. From um, when it blows she, up. Yeah. Uh, she drags herself past the Terminator leg to Kyle, who is now unfortunately dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not make it. Uh, so he was right at that beginning when he, when he was asking, oh, can you kill this thing? And he says, I don't know. Uh, he failed. He did not kill it. Yeah. Uh, it's up to Sarah now, uh, which is great. Like, I love that. You know, I think a lesser movie, you know, they would have both made it to the end together. Yeah. Um, or that he would have he would have managed to kill the Terminator and then died from his wounds. Right. As opposed to like, no, he's off the board now. And the Terminator, while, you know, incapacitated to a degree, is still very much a threat. Well, the thing that's important here is that when she goes to Kyle and sees that he's dead, she doesn't know yet that the rest of the Terminator is still going. And so there's one moment where she's rushing to Kyle to see if Kyle is okay. She thinks it's over. And then, no, you see that the Terminator is still there and crawling towards her and trying to grab her. Yeah, the whole like just how relentless it is, is so great for movies like this and like. I think there's something a little different you know, when you have a Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees, like it becomes comical mm-hmm. that they just sort of keep coming at you no matter what, because they're still flesh and blood. Yeah. But this thing, it's like, there's something really just terrifying. Like it's just this red eyed skeleton. that's like, nope, it will just keep fucking coming. Like mm-hmm. there is nothing you can do until it is a hundred percent dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome stuff here. Uh, so she crawls on the conveyor belt. Uh, she, you know, ducks her way under this, um, the press hydraulic the press side, mm-hmm. the hydraulic press terminator follows and is reaching for her you know through these bars it can almost get to her but she manages to push the button and, and crush it say you're terminated motherfucker yeah. <laughs> and yes. uh smushes it mostly smushes it and mostly we'll see in the second one yeah mostly, mostly. well remember that uh, arm was sticking out <laughs> And the leg was still somewhere else in the facility, too. Yeah. It was, like, lying around. Um, yeah, if I were her, I would have, like, after it was dead, I would like, let me just run the crusher a couple more times. Right, like, right. She obviously doesn't know that Terminator 2 is happening. Um, but we get, um, you know, there's sirens, an ambulance, a body bag for Kyle to let us know, like, no, he's not just kind of dead. He's he's all the way dead. Yeah. And, and, and she, then we get I, our, you know. I think she, she even, like, watches him as he's, you know, rolled off and she's, like, having a moment of just, like, overwhelm and, and sobbing and stuff, like, when he's he's being wheeled away in the body bag. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and now we get this scene in the desert, uh, the final scene in the movie here, where she records, she's recording, like, audio lessons for John. Should I tell you about your father? Boy, that's a tough one. Will it affect your decision to send him here, knowing that he is your father? If you don't send Kyle, you can never be. God, a person could go crazy thinking about this. I suppose I will tell you. I owe him that. Maybe it'll help if 
you know that in the few hours that we had together, we loved a lifetime's worth. Usted es muy hermosa, señora, y tengo pena decirle que me da cinco dólares americanos. Pero si no, mi padre me va a pegar. What did he just say? He says, you're a very beautiful, señora. And he's ashamed to ask you for five American dollars for this picture. But if he doesn't, his father will beat him. Pretty good hustle, kid. Cuatro. Sí, sí. Gracias. Miren, miren. Allá, viene una tormenta. What did he just say? He said there's a storm coming in. I know. Uh, and we see that she is pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she has uh, Kyle's gun. So we've now completed causality. So John can exist. Uh, and she's got a German shepherd with her, which is awesome, you know, to make sure that uh, I wish that had come up more in Terminator 2. They're like, no, she yeah. can't be without a dog. But, yeah. you know, she's in a mental institute. She can't have a dog. Mm-hmm. And John's dog, unfortunately, is taken off the board by, yeah. by the T-1000. Um, but yeah, she records a, a warning for John, so she knows to, he know he will know to send Kyle Reese back in time. Uh, and some kid comes up and snaps the picture mm-hmm. that will be the picture that we've seen already. Uh, and she drives off towards the gathering storm, which is a big, huge matte painting. And mm-hmm. uh, we're at the end of the movie. Um, I love this end. I think it's great. This is a great like um, it, note of like, yeah, we know that the the problem is not solved. Mm-hmm. At the end of this movie, it is, you know, there. It, it's very similar to say something at the end of like Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. Right. Where they're like, oh, that's where we have to go there under all the lightning. <laughs> well, and then like the little kid, because she's somewhere. I don't know if she's like in the, around the border or if she's in Mexico at this point. But like the boy is speaking in Spanish. And so, you know, she stops at a gas station and the boy is like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I need you to take this photo. Or I, I, I need to, to sell this photo to you for four American dollars or my dad will beat me or something. And, you know, like she has uh, the gas attendant. To translate it and then after a minute after she buys it then um the little kid's like ah oh, you know the la tormenta you know like the storm and then you know the, the guy translates he says the storm is coming and she's like i know and that's like the last words in the the movie so yeah it's i love bat paintings like this again for the same reason that like we talked about sort of the the special effects like i miss map paintings they do so much cool stuff and they there is a, sur- a slight surreality to them that makes movies feel more evocative than like a more photorealistic digital thing would be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I really I, I just like seeing that of like, oh, that's a cool, you know, just creepy thing of her just driving off towards the storm. And we don't even know exactly what she thinks her mission is at this point. We know that it is eventually to get real swole and uh, yeah. good at combat. So that she can take out any Terminators that are sent to kill her again or her son. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, this is like, you know, you get just a hint of what the Sarah Connor from T2 will be like. Yeah. Yeah. And just a tiny, tiny bit at the end of the movie. And just just enough to where you like, you can see that, you know, where the connection to next, the, the connective tissue would be for the second one. But also um, 
where it still feels like when you see her in T2, it's kind of a shock because she's changed so much since, you know, T1. Well, also, when we first meet her in T2, she's been apprehended, right? She's in a mental institute. Mm -hmm. uh, And we hear John talk about some of the things that she has done in terms of, like, you know, robbing banks or destroying facilities, Mm -hmm. you know, know, machine places and stuff. Um, And I'm kind of glad we don't actually get to see that. It's more just like it's cooler to just hear about, like, what a badass she's become, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, than some integral where we just like, yep, here she is just, you know, blowing up IBM or whatever to make sure there's no microchips. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, here we are at the end of Terminator, and I'm really glad, like I said, that we we got to cover the original one here because this is a really phenomenal movie. Um, and, to, you know, I, I'm i glad I, I, I think now from now I used to just go like, well, if I want to watch Terminator movie, I'm going to pull T2 off the shelf. And I think now my feeling is I would want to watch them almost back to back. Yeah. Like start with one and go through the end of two. Yeah. Um, and I've still been itching to kind of rewatch Terminator 3 because there's still some interesting stuff in it, mm-hmm. even if it's, you know, significantly less than these two. Um, there's still some good ideas yeah. uh, in there. Yeah. What so, I would what I would say is like I've I've watched. Um, so for the purposes of uh, a monster, dear monster episode that never happens, uh, we were going through and watching all of Terminator because we were going to do like a Terminator episode about like the whole thing. Now, um, we are possibly going to be doing well i say possibly we will eventually be doing like an arnie movie podcast which will be just about like all of arnold schwarzenegger's movies going chronologically from the first one on so like i therefore didn't want to first few are real rough oh yes oh yes but like i didn't want to therefore talk about it on my show when i'm going to be eventually releasing a show that's dedicated to all of that because i don't want to be rehashing the same ground you know so yeah. um at least like insofar as the fireheart media you know oeuvre is concerned so but guesting is another matter so i can talk about it here but um yes. yeah like uh terminator one and two are very good they in cap uh and they t2 is pulling a lot of stuff from one that is like it's very nostalgic for t1 you know as much as it's also pushing forward but like as terminator as a an ip kind of continues they have sometimes inserting like interesting ideas in each of the different installments that are sometimes executed okay and then other times not really done that well but then it's also uh, as the the ip continues kind of really masturbatory in the fact that it just keeps on rehashing the same beats over and over and over and over again um and I don't think that it would necessarily have been so if James Cameron had been directing all of them that I don't think it would be continually just recycling but um they're they're trying to pull for a different audience as it kind of goes on from there and you know past T2 Yeah T2 is one of those things where like you expect a sequel to be bigger and you know kind of iterate on the first one you you know like they do bring a lot of things even things I'd forgotten we're like, oh, there is a beat in T1 that is echoed in T2. And we mm-hmm. talked about them as we went through some of them. Um, so, like, it's fun when Arnold says, I'll be back in Terminator 2. You, but you get one. Yeah. Like, it you can't be one. like, it becomes like a tradition he has to say in every mm-hmm. movie. And then it becomes silly instead of like, oh, fun. You know, right. or like, yeah, the get out thing, the, the you know, the use of the semi truck. Um, yeah. The way some of the dialogue, it, it. It's one of those things where, like, this that's about as good as you can do doing mm-hmm. a sequel in that mode of, like, yeah, we're going to bring back stuff from the first one again. Um, but Terminator 2 is, you know, just a unicorn of a movie that is a sequel that is so good mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and probably 
maybe much better than this one. And not and that's not to say this movie isn't good. Mm-hmm. It's just that Terminator 2's yeah, like this rare bird. Mm-hmm. Um so I really just I, I was just really impressed watching this again of like the competence and, and confidence of James Cameron's filmmaking here that this holds up so well, mm-hmm. especially against its, you know, more well known second part. Yeah. Um uh, you just what a great fun, like just cool bit of 80s like yeah cyberpunk horror it's yeah it's cool well and so like basically part of the reason why the later terminator stuff that is produced is rehashing and rehashing and rehashing trying to throw in different ideas is because it's trying to work the t2 magic without having like you know all of the stars aligned in just the same way as happened with t2 you know what i mean um, it's trying to capture the success of two, but that it's none of the other Terminator movies after two have been able to top or barely match, you know, anything that was done, you know, in, in one and two. So I think the secret to that is the relationships, right? The relationship yeah. between Sarah and Kyle in the first one and the relationship between Sarah, John and the T-800 in the second one. Mm-hmm. That's what drives those movies. It's what makes you care about all the action that's happening. Mm -hmm. And those things are unfortunately missing in the sequels. You've got John uh, and his future wife, uh, Kate, in Mm -hmm. three. And sort of this weird, like, why is T-800 hanging around again? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not the same. You Mm -hmm. know, you're missing some of that. And certainly more so as it goes on. And I think that's the thing, right? It's not just the whiz-bang stuff. It's like we have to care about all of the stuff the characters that it's happening to. Right. Um, I will say I kind of enjoyed for, I didn't watch all of it, but I kind of enjoyed the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Oh, I loved uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Although like kind of fun. Yeah. Although like in the second season on the back half of that, because the, the show was being canceled, the writers were just really struggling to just wrap all of their ideas up in like, you know, no time and did a bunch of wild stuff that kind of made it unfortunately not that great. But again, like Sarah Connor Chronicles is working on, you know, the, the kind of interplay and the drama of uh, Linda Hamilton's character, you know, um, or not Linda Hamilton's character. It's, it's not uh, Lena Hedy from it's Game of Le- Thrones. Lena Hedy in that one. Uh, I love Lena Hedy, by the way, as Sarah Connor. Um, I like her a lot. Uh, yeah, in, she does in, a good job. Yeah, yeah in, in that series, in that role, in, with the drama and everything. Um, so Sarah Connor, uh, like Sarah's struggle to be a mom, but also be like the, the caretaker of the future who has all this, this weight on her shoulders, who cannot hold down a relationship or stay in a one spot. And, you know, like, how does that affect their family dynamics and John growing up? And, you know, how does he deal with it as, you know, a young man knowing that, oh, the weight of the whole future, I'm supposed to be the savior, but also I'm just like a boy, you know, trying to, to, you know, have a life, you know? Of yeah. my own before everything supposedly hits the fan in the future that I don't even know about, you know. Yeah. So, well, we're coming up on time, um, and so Joe, I'll, I'll let you have the last word. Uh, you know, why do you think it is that people still love the original Terminator so much? Well, uh, most people love T two. I love Terminator one because it's a totally different kind of vibe to it than than T two, and it sets up so much of the stuff that makes T two a success. You have to have the feelings, like the the kind of cachet for some of these characters and the, the dynamics and all of this groundwork has to be laid for you to be able to start off at a running pace in T2. So um, it really does necessitate, in my mind, you watch T1, you watch T2, 
that's in, in you know it end caps very well there um you know you can go on to watch all the rest of the terminator stuff but like these two movies fit so perfectly together and they're necessary you have to have one to have had two you know yeah. in quite the way that it comes out yeah i, I think that's right and i think you know th- this movie um holds up very well even if terminator 2 would never happen this would still be a classic like it is yeah. extremely well made it's a great story it's a great concept and it's why you know we can't let it go right we have to keep making more terminator sequels because that mad like i just want another hit off that pipe yeah um, of, of what this is like it just uh james cameron's just core idea at, at the heart of this franchise is so strong mm-hmm. uh and yeah it's all on display right here in this first one before any of the other stuff happens so yeah um Jala, if people want to find your cool stuff where do they find it it's really easy. I'm findable on the internet on all my socials and everything at Jalachan, including Jalachan.place, which is where you can find my show. You can also listen to Monster Deer Monster at monsterdeer.monster, and you can listen to The Level at thelevelpodcast.com. Very good. And I recommend that you do all of those things because Jala's shows are awesome and they're really fun. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, I'll put a link to all of our portals uh, in the show notes, but we're on X threads, uh, Instagram and blue sky, uh, as well as just me fucking around doing impressions on TikTok. I got to get back on that, especially if we're talking about Arnold, I got to get some more Arnold stuff. Oh, I will love it. I, I love it. We, uh, totally watch all of the, the little stuff whenever it pops up when we're on TikTok. So, Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate that. So, uh, yeah. So if you have thoughts on, uh, this episode, our recent ones would be going back, uh, RoboCop. I believe we squeezed space balls in there. If we didn't, we're recording these out of order. That's coming up real soon. Uh, also coming up real soon, uh, I believe next possibly, uh, is Led Zeppelin. Uh, we just recorded our episode on that. Uh, we've got stuff in the works on the League of Their Own and, um, gosh, if you Happy Gilmore, a few other things. So really fun stuff coming up soon. So, uh, hope you all will have enjoyed what we've done and are going to enjoy what happens in the future. Uh, so thanks again, Jala, for coming on. This was so much fun. I'm, I'm glad we got to talk to you again. I'll be back. I hope you will be. <laughs> uh, and we, and we will also be back. Oh, every Mary, I'll be back. Everyone. <laughs> so, uh, until next time, that is one more entry in the nostalgia arcana. Still, they should have made a time traveling morning after pill.
C-3PO, I got my control like all the lead. Your move, creep. Wrong. I have detailed files to the conclusion of your trilogy. That movie failed Detroit worse than the automotive industry. I am T-800 Cyberdyne Systems Model 101. And I'll be sweeping up your rubble bits like payback clips when I'm done. My rapping attack is a massive dispatch of bazookas and gas and grenades. That rapidly batches your brain to dismantle that puny pea shooter that fits in your leg. When at the same, you peel away. A perfect skin you find supercomputers. You look like crying wearing a cold producer. They left off your balls when your suit was created. I still love you, Alex. Bullshit! Your sex life is terminated. Based on my detailed analysis on the lyrical structure of battle rap, it's time for your next shit verse. And then I'll be back. Uh, how'd you solve the door dilemma? Homer Simpson was the real hero here. He jury rigged the door close using this. Hey, what is that? It's an inanimate carbon rod! Oh, we were just about to show some close-ups of the rod. Oh, stupid rod. <laughs>